it's for you it's been however long it's been for us it's been about three weeks we've since had, we've, we've had a break since we've uh, been recording yeah which is which is good because it's catching up we're getting closer and closer to the yeah. show actually being available on netflix for people to watch and we'll see if that changes anything yeah and i mean we we left at a very um you know oh. monumentous sort of uh, ominous kind of moment there last we saw uh ray was in the Ava unit zero carrying the spear down this like corridor terminal dogma. Yeah. And Lacey was here with us to talk about that. And that's right. back to just being the two of us, which is fine. Um, talking about episode 15, which is called mm-hmm. lies in silence or those women longed for the touch of others lips and thus invited their kisses. Great, great title. Great. One of my favorite ones. Yeah. Big Did we ever figure out if that was a reference to something? We looked it up and couldn't find anything. But what, one thing I do want to talk about is the Nerve logo and uh, God's in his heaven, all's right with the world. Oh, yeah. That's which we uh... haven't talked about before. But the Nerve logo, you've seen it around enough now, which mm-hmm. is the red. It's a fig leaf, I believe, right? I think so. Is that's the idea. And the, that is a reference to Adam and Eve uh-huh. covering their, their nudity, their shame with fig leaves, right? Mm-hmm. After they get the knowledge uh <laughs> Like the the fruit of knowledge or whatever, right? Because the there's and that's a big part of things too, and it becomes more explicit in the redesign of things. In, like the Nerve logo is redesigned in the rebuild movies, which is so like yeah, there's like an apple as part of the thing. Wow, I don't remember that. Which gets a little too. It's it's very it's busy. I don't like it as much, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it, the fact that you've got half of this leaf and and the idea of the fruit of knowledge and the fruit of life mm-hmm. is a thing here in Evangelion mythology and. Again, I don't know a whole lot about Christian mythology and apocryphal texts, and I don't know about you, but like the tree of life mm-hmm. is that a th- is that a tree that's in the Garden of Eden as well? I'm yeah. This is I'm should probably just like look it up right now because it's it's because the remember, idea is like if you the if, tree the tree of life, which is why which is why Adam and Eve could could live forever, right? Um, and then then um, after being expelled from the garden, like in because like human the idea that you know uh, humans were meant to sort of live forever in God's you know light and stuff like that, and that that uh, lifespans began to decrease you know after but they were still long it was like this oh well, that's that's why they're able to have like live for generations and gener- yeah. generations in the bible but okay. the, the, but there was so I, if i'm remembering correctly and i can look it up in a minute or something but they, it was the, the tree of life and then the, the 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 knowledge of good and evil i guess right, is yeah. the thing so that they i guess they it was that was the one they weren't supposed to eat because that would introduce them you know to the concept of sin and stuff well like it that. loses their innocence yeah yeah they, and I maybe I'm just getting this from Evangelion stuff, which which is my into a lot of these things. But my knowledge of philosophy and religion, it all kind of stems from what could I learn that would help me yeah. understand Evangelion. <laughs> but my understanding is that you know if you have the tree of life and you have the tree of knowledge, you are essentially God. That if you have both, you know, eternal I think life. I and... think that's that's what the that's what the snake told them. I think that was part uh-huh. of the thing is is that like oh like you get this thing, but like he doesn't want you to have that thing because then you would be as, be as good as him. Oh. And I think that was the temptation that like introducing the idea that they, that, that what they were wasn't good enough that they should want for more. And that, that, you know, wanting to be more like God uh, was, was the only sort of, you know, step up for them. And that, you know, in the sort of greedy kind of sense of like wanting that. And then that's what. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Okay. You know. All right. So, yeah. So the fact that it's, it is a fig leaf, and then it's but it's only half of a fig leaf is very interesting. Nerve we've talked about before is German for for nerve, like ah, yes, like body. Uh, we're gonna have a place. Uh, there's a there's Sele, which we know is German for soul, mm-hmm. and then we haven't gotten there yet. But there's gonna be like a precursor uh, organization called Gehern or Garen. Oh yeah, and that's uh, mind. So it's like mind, body, and soul are the three different organizations that you know mm-hmm. German words for each of those things that make up. So so there's that. There's the the nerve name, and then the the logo under the fig leaf and the the word nerve is you have this quote of God's in His heaven and all's right with the world. Which does does it ever actually appear in the text in the show? Like do they? Does anybody ever say? Yeah, it? I don't think it's like a. It's not a thing that is no. actually. Yeah. No, it's from a Robert Browning poem. Or oh, okay. Play called Pippa Passes. So it's a, it's a verse drama, I guess mm-hmm. is what it is. So it's sort of it's sort of a poem. It's like forty something pages. I, I downloaded it and read it 
yesterday and it's it was like 90 pages on my on my ipad but it read fast um and it comes from basically i mean it's not it's not that relevant in a lot of ways there's some little things that i noticed but it's it's sort of like a shakespeare play i guess if you've read shakespeare you know so Mm -hmm. it is a play where there are characters there's also long monologues but it's all sort of written in verse so Uh it reads a little bit like a poem but it reads a little bit like a play and it's just about this girl named pippa who works in the silk factory and she has one day off a year mm-hmm. this was let me see when it was published 1841 was the first time that it was published so it's written in english with brown is browning an english yeah. writer yeah yeah so yeah it's just it takes place in italy though and it's this girl who's working and the and she has her one day off a year is new year's day and she like wakes up and has this big monologue about the morning and then she just kind of walks through the town, and as she passes through the town, she sees uh, all these different people. I'm just picturing Oscar, by the way, <laughs> that, <laughs> as my that visualization. Makes it if you're, I mean, she, like the idea is that she's very pure, okay. like she's very pure-hearted. So maybe it's not Oscar's yeah. not, not the best example, but she's this very pure-hearted girl. Pippa, I guess, calls to mind a redhead, Pippi Longstocking. But she passes by. Um, there's two lovers. That and then and the the first part is interesting. This big monologue where she's thinking about different types of love, and she's thinking about the love between a man and a woman and how that's one kind of love. Mm-hmm. And then she starts thinking about uh, the what's a better love than romantic love, and that's the love of a mother for a son and paternal mm-hmm. love, and like oh that would be a better or more pure type of love. Mm-hmm. And then what's even better than that is a love for God and God's love for you. And then she starts thinking so about a er- priest, eros. Um... I forgot what the second one is, and then agape. I think is the third. It's Greek stuff. The oh, is it? Stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's Eros and Thanatos. I don't know if well, Thanatos is the death drive and the. Yeah. Well, but there's the four. It's the four of loves, which is a you know I'm revealing oh, my okay. Christian path. It's a C.S. Lewis book that sort of there's a C.S. Lewis book that breaks down the the concept of fraternal love versus erotic love versus I think it's familial love, and then you know the, like God's love, like the pure love that you know uh-huh. we should aspire towards for other people and stuff. So she has all this, and that's what's kind of interesting. And that rang as a little Evangeliony to me. The idea of you know Shinji as a character that is looking for, or at least fumbling through romantic mm-hmm. love stuff. And this actually comes up in this episode. Yeah, a lot the, of that. The maternal and parental love when he is going to see in this episode Ray ring, ringing out the dish rag mm-hmm. like a mother mm-hmm. <laughs> in the maternal way. And the effect that has on her. There's also an artist in in the story that she thinks about, and then obviously the god stuff, which we're starting to get into, and we get some really alarming uh, crucifix imagery at the end of this mm-hmm. episode. So the idea of God and, and God's love. So all, that that seemed really evangeliony to me. And the interesting thing about the the play, though, is that as she passes and sings, like it's kind of like we get glimpses of what these people are really up to, and it's like kind of a little bit darker than that and in some ways her presence gets them to change their ways or at least be somewhat aware of like a morality outside of themselves mm-hmm. like when she walks by the lovers it's a this couple and the woman is married and they've just murdered her husband and mm-hmm. so the lovers are together and then she passes by singing this little song and it kind of makes the man freak out and feel really guilty about what they've done and it's that song that she says when she's passing by their window that the quote comes from. And so interesting. The whole passage of her little song as Pippa's is sauntering by and, and singing, "The years at the spring and days at the morn, mornings at seven, the hillsides dew pearled, the larks on the wing, the snails on the thorn, God's in His heaven, all's right with the world." It's and, I always, as a as a young you know as a young man watching this when I was you know whatever fourteen fifteen or something like that somewhere around the same time. I was getting into uh, David Lynch movies, mm-hmm. and um, back in the day, like, oh, here in, in heaven, everything is fine. Yeah, that was. I always sort of like made an association between the two things, and sometimes I would forget which one came. Which from is which. from Eraserhead. Yeah, I, I threw that out, assuming people would know what that was. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. So, so it's a song that the lady in the radiator in Eraserhead sings. It's sort of like a soothing, you know, kind of like um, peaceful thing for the main character in it. It was just funny because I was like, I think I. Eraserhead used to be, I mean, you know, anyone younger than my age probably doesn't remember this because, but Eraserhead used to be this impossible to fucking find thing that like you could find like a VHS copy on eBay for like a hundred dollars and there had been a Japanese laser disc that there was bootlegs made from and so I remember like getting a 
membership at the video rental place in downtown Atlanta that I believe is still there. Videodrome, I think, is still. It was there when I moved. Yeah, yeah I think I think it is still there, and I and I got a membership there just for the sole purpose of renting this like third generation Japanese laser disc dub to VHS tape thing of Eraserhead that was like. I mean, it was like the Holy Grail, and I remember that hearing that song, and and you know being aware of that, and the probably I think I found the MP3 on Napster or something like that later. But like, <laughs> you, know, you know, that was around. I was like, I think I was 17 when I did that, and I so I was like, you know, around the same time that I was watching all this stuff, and I, you know, I don't know, I don't know if there is any sort of I don't know what David Lynch's inspirations for that idea were, but you know, if you told me, I mean, that sounds like a very if that's a famous play, I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. I have no idea, but yeah, know. it's a burning thing, uh, and. Yeah, we can talk about that. I'll just sort of run through the rest of the. There's not a whole lot to it that's super relevant. There's there's a lot of stuff about puppets about, and that's we're gonna get more on that in other episodes of like dolls and mm-hmm. puppets and the relationship between man and dolls and mm. God and man. Sure, is something that Oscar's gonna call out in a few episodes. Mm-hmm. So that definitely struck me. There was um some some descriptions of like the sun flooding over the world in the morning that kind of made me think of Evangelion stuff that you don't really know about yet if this is your first time Mm -hmm. doing the show um but yeah she just kind of walks by all the different people and then you know it's just it's just her day her one day off of the year and sort of her purity as she's talking to all these you know or or imagining all these conversations that these people are having so it, it was interesting um i don't know how familiar or how much any of it actually was an influence on the show or if it was sort of like some of the religious imagery we're just grabbing something cool yeah but it definitely works as being this really evocative thing and again heightens the mythology for me in a way like like you said you know when you're 17 years old 18 years old watching this show and you know the fact that the secret government organization has gods in his heaven all's right with the yeah. world emblazoned on all of their stuff just makes it i don't know they get it, it, there's something mystical about that and the idea that god is is removed from the doings of the world and that that is correct like mm-hmm. that is that that is right and i guess there's a read of that that it's comforting like hey god's up above and he's watching over it and everything's cool but it's also is that god is separate from what we are doing well, down the, here it's the sort and of that's as it should be i think it's i think it's deism is the sort of um I mean, I this I learned about most of this stuff in the context of Christianity as a as a you know young person, but like this, I, I want to say it's in some you know certain groups of thought in it like the idea of this sort of I think it's was always characterized to me as the sort of watchmaker god. Oh sure, that's like it's like the, the god the benevolent watchmaker. Yeah, the the god that sort of set the world into motion that like created you know the physical laws that govern the universe and you know the way things work and that effectively just sort of dusted his hands off and sat back and that abandoned ex- it yeah he, he created his. a system that mm-hmm. was self-running and yeah that- as opposed to the the like and it was usually when i was a young person you know brought up as an as a sort of uh, a, a a negative belief or a belief that people had that you know we as evangelical christians that the, the group that i grew up around that we rejected this notion no. because the version of God's God, getting in there and being involved yeah. and, and, and like it, your dead mother watching you kiss <laughs> on the anniversary of her death. Yeah. Well, and it's like, I remember because throws there's out. the, the, there's a Nick cave song that like the, the clunkiest, but also kind of greatest like opening line for, I think it's the opening line of the album too. But like, it's like, I don't believe in an interventionist God. And it's like, it's like, it's a really funny line, but that's the kind of like, he talks about it all in that, that lyric, but like that sort of notion of God intervening in the world and that you can ask for things and get right. them and that you can have a relationship as opposed to this sort of distant father figure that, you know, again, I think the people right, probably that believe own. that see it as a comforting thing that it is just sort of like, well, this is what it is. And we just have to do our thing. And, and it's all sort of, not it's not calvinism in the sense of like deterministic like the idea that everybody is sort of you know <laughs> fitting into a path that is preordained prior to like you know that before you were even born it was sort of whether you went to heaven or hell or you know whatever oh, it was yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know that that, that's stuff. a sort of that's a, an offshoot of a, a different type of thought that has something to do with non-intervention but like yeah i think basically an interventionist god versus a non-interventionist god and the, the clockmaker, the deist sort of version the if he's in heaven and all's right with the world that's the sort of you know, depending on how you want to look at it, comforting or, you know, terrifying or, you know, isolating or something. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I don't know what uh, Anno actually thinks. And I don't even know what the, you know, this, this, we, 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 we've yet to arrive at a point where we could try to find a thesis for this show yet. I no. don't know that there is one. Um, 
Well, and we're know. just now getting into the stuff that's going to be a lot more. It, it's been pretty on the surface of you know you can find your little oh woman imagery here and there and you know Ray's poem that we talked about with with Lacey previously. But we're just now really getting into the stuff that's going to be really thematically rich and and stuff that is more abstract and can be read multiple ways. Oh, my so. phone's volume is on. Sorry, guys. Yeah, it's um. Well, we we can start talking more about that as we get into it. I did mention last time wanting to talk about Ano since you mentioned him, Ano the actor, because we've just discovered a bunch <laughs> of stuff and we're tweeting back and forth the other day about that. Is that Ano is. An on-screen presence as well. I don't know how much we've brought this up before, but that he's been in, like, car commercials in Japan. Yeah, he's in, like, a Nissan commercial with his, like, dog or something, or with a dog. I don't know. He's he's in uh, a movie called Funky Forest, which I still haven't seen. Yeah, neither have I. He plays uh, an animator in this movie called The Taste of Tea, which is a, mm-hmm. a really cool movie. Which I don't think I actually saw that one. I the same director, I, right? I believe in that one. Oh, it could be. But I he, he plays an animator, and like I didn't know he was in it, and I just like saw this character was an animator. I was like, who, who is that guy? And like, you know, you don't see like tons of pictures of Anna, and, I, and I, this was like 2004 or something. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And so like see, seeing him, is, is that is that Anna, or is that like somebody pl- like doing a parody of Anna? But mm-hmm. it's actually him. And then he's uh, he's also the voice of yeah. the main character in The Wind Rises, which is the Miyazaki movie about the the, uh, the guy who designs all the planes. Yeah, yeah. And stuff. No, I went and saw it in the theater, and it was one of those things where, like, you know, the, one of the benefits of living in Los Angeles is not just you know, wide widely available movie options but that i could even make sure to go to see a subtitled well, i have I, this presentation is a, as opposed to a dubbed one specifically because i wanted to hear that yeah this is fucking pissed me off because i i was oh, in I atlanta that. at the time yeah, and yeah. i had to like drive down to the the terra art house theater mm-hmm. downtown where i seen you know lots of cool movies we saw no we john malkovich i saw paprika there yeah um I saw Spirited Away there. I think Princess Mononoke. No, I think we, the, I... Princess Mononoke was at the LaFont Garden Hills, which doesn't uh, exist anymore. Okay. Um, I, okay. I remember that because I think it was the first time I went to that theater, yeah. if I remember correctly. Bill Paxton in Traveler, I definitely saw at the Terra. I made a point to go and do. It's a good movie. I'm a big Bill, big Bill Paxton yeah, fan. Yeah, R.I.P. But, um, yeah, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, going to see The Wind Rise is like, you know, and I had kids, so it was like, okay, i got to get a babysitter, like, mm-hmm. we got to get down there, we got to see it, and they were like alternating either showtimes exactly. or yeah. days, sub yep. and, yep. and dubbed, and it's like, oh, i got to see the subtitled one, because i got to hear my boy Otto, mm-hmm. like doing the performance, and we got there, and it was like the wrong one, so it was like a real, like, decision of like oh shit what are we gonna do like we came all this way yeah it's a fucking am i gonna see it dubbed and i was like no like fine i won't i'll see it some other time and so we went to see dallas buyers club instead (laughs) (laughs) which is like you know all right whatever saw dallas buyers club (laughs) and then later on i went just like well i'll go at a different time and so i went with my other friends to this to a different theater that had it Uh subtitled drove all the way out there bought our tickets sat down the movie started and it was the dub (laughs) so so i still have not not seen seen it i still haven't seen it with him i mean what's funny about it though is is that like i mean the character is you know sort of like a like a kind of i don't know if grumpy is the word but kind of like a you know he's not a very expressive guy you yeah, know it's, okay. it's not it's not really yeah, about yeah. he's not like a wacky character so it's even like you know Anno's voice acting is, is pretty flat so, on, on purpose you know <laughs> right, it's right. like it's not so it's like it's it's a fun novelty to know that that's what it is and it's obviously it's cute because you know this sort of kind of protege mentor relationship that i the way i understand it anyways between miyazaki and Anno, it's it's fun to think that that you know miyazaki doing a movie that yeah, I believe it's at the time strange. he said like the was idea like, that you just get him to come in and be the lead. Well, I think I, it's, but it's like I think because if I remember the press at the time that Miyazaki was kind of like saying that this was one of his most personal movies, and that mm. it was like you know he really like identified with this character, and like it was a really like you know I mean it's it's very different for him. It's not there's not like you know magical animals and stuff like that. Right. But so the idea that like. You know, I, I mean, I'm not saying that this was any part of the thought process, but that like it's almost like, well, I should just play this character myself because it is just kind of a movie <laughs> about me in a way. But I'm not going to do just that. Get some other so I'm going to get the guy that I sort of most relate to, you know, like my my sort of, you know, my protege and like, you know, I, it'll be oh, like one man, step I got to find that thing you know? that I sent you that was that Anno wrote in the liner notes for some kind of Miyazaki or Ghibli release. <laughs> it was like pretty uh you know really talk about grumpy like it was him like like begrudging the state of anime and like 
I gotta find it, but it was like sort of like mean, about, <laughs> like, like really critical of uh, no, no, about Miyazaki's Miyazaki. movies. Yeah, yeah. filming. Oh, I think you sent me that. I, I gotta yeah. find it again, and maybe next episode I'll I'll look that up and throw that in. But yeah, that 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 is. I mean, I'm sure that they're, I mean they're both they're both grumpy guys. I mean, and yeah. I and I I mean with Miyazaki's sort of famous, there's like people love to pull those like different clips and like you know. Just, oh, he just his. said something recently that everybody was all over. But it's like I, I don't know. I respect about, it. I I I feel like. I I feel myself like the likelihood that I just age into being like a Miyazaki when oh, I'm that sure. age, you know. Yeah, I, you're and a... I quit smoking recently, and he still hasn't done that. But I, you know, I look at him and I'm like, no, nah, I mean, he's not wrong on these things. He's just a grumpy old guy. Like, right. I respect it. <laughs> um, but that like that there's, is it Shinji Iwai that he is also mm-hmm. like they, he cast Shinji Iwai as the lead in um. Uh, I don't know how to say it, but the, I believe the Shikijitsu? title. Yeah, the title translates to ritual, which is mm-hmm. funny because that's also or our Cer- buddy David Rucker's oh. movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, um, Ceremony Day, I've also yeah. seen it translated as. But Shinji Uwai is a director. Yeah, director of, you know, writer-director of live-action films and now some some animated films. And I guess that they're just friends. Like, this whole sort of funny, I mean, I, you know, by the way, in film school, this is, like, super common because in film school, you're terrified to talk to the theater department. Like, nobody wants to deal with actual actors hmm. when you're that age. So, you know, film school students just tip cast their friends to be actors and things all the time. Uh-huh. And it's some of that, like, instinct sort of, you know, like, you, you, you get older and you still sort of want to do that. And I don't know what... I'm just that's my relationship to it or anything. But so the, the idea that all these directors are casting each other to play to play in parts, it's like you know I don't. I because that's Shinji Y did all about Lily Shushu mm-hmm. and Hana and Alice and mm-hmm. didn't he have a vampire one? It's called that he did? Vampire, I think. Okay. I mean, I yeah, I saw I saw and, a screening of that. But Shiki Jitsu is his one acting credit. Is I that, believe so. Yeah. That's so funny. But then you, when we were looking that up, didn't you just he, he like Ano's now going to be the lead in one of his movies? Oh yeah, no, the, yeah, he's got a movie that's like I think it's coming out later this year. Or he's going to be a performer in it. He's yeah, Ano's in it. Yeah, no, and it's just yeah, this like funny little club of these guys just you know. Uh, casting each other in things and i think that's i think it's cool yeah and shinji Uwai, just just as a just as a personal side note if, if anybody listening to this is interested in all the shit that we talk about shinji Uwai is one of i think the like most interesting filmmakers working and he's had a, a weird career path he made a ton of movies in japan um before all about lily shushu and hannah and alice which were his like Kind of, in my opinion, these are like his two best movies. And the, the s- songs from the soundtrack for All About Lily Shushu, one of them is prominently featured in Kill Bill. It's oh, yeah. The like, well, that's music how I heard about the, the Hattori Hanzo sword. I forgot that that's, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, so the, the well, whole Tarantino way had it. said that he, that Shinji Uwai was the, the, like, the, the guy who had Japan. his career in, yeah. in Japan. Well, that was, yeah, it was in an Entertainment Weekly article when I was in college. Like, Tarantino was, it was like one of those little, like, sort of list articles of just, like, what's the cool stuff you, you know, you're up, you're up to these days? What are you reading? What are you watching? And he talked about all about Lily Shushu, and he specifically cited that the soundtrack was, like, good makeout music, which, having to think about <laughs> Quentin Tarantino making out with somebody is not the most pleasant mental image but like i remember being like well whatever the fuck this is i gotta get it and it was like a whole process of tracking that stuff down and then it's really sad makeup music <laughs> i mean you know i guess it depends on really what kind of makeup, makeup. You're trying to do. i've never put it to the test but you know if i ever do i'll come back on the show and, and report back but i you know, speaking of sad making out, would would be an excellent segue. It would be an excellent episode. segue. All of that just to say, if you if you are interested in Japanese uh, cinema or or just cool movies in general, seek out uh, anything that Shunji Y has done. Uh, fantastic, fantastic um, filmmaker and really interesting guy, and still making stuff. So that's that. But mm-hmm. as far as sad making out is concerned, this episode is you know we've gone a lot lots like, of sad making out. Yeah, we in are various ways. twenty three minutes in. We have barely talked about this episode. This is like. It's an interesting thing to leave us at that fucked up elliptical, you know, what the hell, what mindfuck image at the end of the last Uh episode. And then to have an episode that's kind of a lot of interpersonal, you know, emotional stuff, but also just kind of like, you know, people interacting and figuring out their status with each other. It is kind of similar to some of the earlier episodes, you know, because there's no angel or anything in this episode. No, there's no action. There's no attack. There's a couple, you know, you get some, some... you know, more mindfucky stuff at the end as far as oh, it doesn't yeah. let you, you down. It, it picks the thread back up, but it is a largely a kind of a, more of a hangout episode status check in kind of a thing. Um, and very a lot like, of Kaji and lots of cuts, lots of sort of interesting 
visually kind of how quickly things will happen, how we're cycling through. Because I was going to compare it to sort of the earlier ones where like Shinji runs away and just kind of wandering mm-hmm. around for most mm-hmm. of the episode. You know, but it's, it's really not yeah. because we're we're sort of jumping around from okay, here's what's going on with Gendo and uh, Futsuki are like flying around noticing the new lakes that have been mm-hmm. <laughs> brought into existence by all these Evangelion fights. And then, you know, cutting to, like, there's a wedding going on. I love how how quickly we sort of go through the wedding. Like, Kaji and Ritsuko oh, Misato go to the wedding, and you get these, like, kind of rapid cuts. Well, of- that's like, it's like the, it's like the About Schmidt wedding stuff. Like, uh-huh. when, like, About Schmidt just sort of, like, you just jump into part of a thing. And you just, you get the overall impression of what a sort of Midwestern shithead white family wedding right. is. This is sort of the version of, like, oh, what a kind of, like, I don't know. I don't know what the class thing is, but just like a Japanese wedding of like you know the songs and the things and stuff, and yeah, yeah, just sort of cycling through it really, Mm -hmm. really quickly, and you get the sense of like, yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, and it it does that a lot. There's a lot of kind of quick cutting and shorthand. It just it's moving very quickly between these things that are all kind of sedate things, but there's an energy to the the editing. That's well, it's just it's it's very. This is a very mature episode in terms. It is yeah. In terms of the filmmaking, yeah, and and, oh, thematically and stuff mm -hmm, too. I was gonna mm -hmm. say yeah. No, it's just it it feels this. This feels like this could be an episode of like, you know, any you know, uh, like prestige TV drama or something. Like it it doesn't it doesn't play to. I mean, there's still Pen Pen is in there a bunch, but like (laughs) there's a lot of Pen Pen. Other than other than a little bit of that stuff, it's it it does it plays as like a you know a serious TV show about adults doing secretive things. Cause there's a bunch of this, you know, kind of, um, you know, corp- espionage, espionage Kaji stuff. investigating. And th- this is one of the bigger, this, it starts with this. It starts with like some drone shots, which is an interesting thing for mm-hmm. anime, like a lot of overhead, you know, directly top down shots of mm-hmm. Kyoto. And he's meeting one of his contacts and finding out more about the Marduk agency or the Marduk which Institute. Which has that been discussed? I can't remember. Yeah. It's, it, br- it was brought up in like episode like three or four. Well, Cause it was pre Oscar. Like they were, I think they were referencing the, they're the, the arrival. They're of supposedly Asuka. the, the organization that chooses the Ava pilots, but yes. he sort of found out and talking to this person here, it's mostly dummy corporations and the people behind it, you know, the list of names that he gets is Kozo Futsuki, Gendo Akari mm-hmm. and Keel, Lorenz yeah. Keel, who is the head of this guy with the Cyclops visor from yeah. Sele. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, who's pulling the strings and choosing the pilots? It's kind of just our same three guys, you know, the, mm-hmm. the guys in the positions of power that we know. It's so which that's I, kind I, of a big reveal that the Marduk Inst- Institute is bullshit. I think I, I'm pretty interested in just the I mean, again, we talked a lot about, you know, how expertly and in, and in, in, cleverly the kind of exposition of all of the world of this, uh, you know, stuff is shown in the show and like the, the kind of like. They don't. At no point do they lay out for you exactly what the expectation is from the public perspective of how all this works. They just sort of hint at things uh-huh. and then kind of you know dig deeper into it and stuff. So it's like, yeah, like we don't, we didn't have a very detailed understanding of what the Marduk Institute was supposed to be, but now we're sort of seeing that you know obviously there's a lot of you know false information and and you know fronts and stuff, and that it's all this sort of conspiratorial thing, and that I guess we've already gotten the idea that Kaji's doing some secret shit. But the I think is this, and one he's of the acting first, as like a double agent. Yeah, like this, this is, is yeah, we the kinda... first like, sort of way that we've seen that he's now he's actually looking into stuff, seemingly that goes against what Gendo wants. Like previously, we've seen right. him doing stuff for Gendo. Now he's looking into stuff that is revealing. And Gendo, you know, there's a lot of you know Gendo because Fuzuki brings him up right at the top of the episode, mm-hmm. and Gendo's like, "Well, we're gonna let him keep doing what he's doing for now." Yeah, there's a lot of and you know so they know that Kaji's up to something. Kaji knows that they know. But he's mm-hmm. gonna. He tells Misato at the end, like he's gonna keep on, you know, pushing as much as he can, and does it make, maybe does that make him a triple agent? Yeah, he he is. I think he is like a triple agent, and and you know, Misato warns him, like, dude, you better look out because you know you're 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 getting it over your head, and you're dealing with some powerful people. He looks real cool doing it though. Like, he looks he's, fucking he's, cool. He looks like Miami Vice type with his like oversized you know coat with the sleeves pushed up, and he's got a gun. It implies that he like reaches in his pocket for like a. Yeah. You know, uh, a holstered gun under his jacket a couple times with his ponytail. Right before the, you get a, the real money shot, like right before it goes to the episode title, which we noticed is maybe the first time we had a white, mm-hmm. a black text on white background as opposed to the opposite. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what. I'm pretty sure it's the first time, and I don't know if that's very striking, meaningful but... in any way, but it definitely feels like things are, you know, we're getting deep. Is and and I will like. say that the, the manga does a little bit more in terms of motivating why Kaji's so hell-bent on kind of figuring out some of this shit that he has personal investment in it Mm. um which is not a part of the show so we don't need to go into it right now but yeah that he's 
we we get some of Misato though here, um, talking about why she is sort of hell bent on uh, yeah. joining Nerve and stuff, and which is her I relationship think that's with Kaji, the most explicit she's been. Because he worked for Nerve, she says. Yeah, right? which we kind of implied in the flashback in the previous right. episode. Because he was part of the yeah. expedition. But that's like, her, she sort of lays out her kind of like origin story, kind of like this is my deal towards the end of the episode in an interesting way that I don't think we've quite had. And she draws comparisons, you know, to herself and Shinji. And right. It, and, you know, it's sort of like, not that we ever needed to know. I mean, she's the, what we've known about her so far is that she's, you know, like, a sort of multifaceted person who's ultimately good and trying to figure out how to sort of morally, you know, tackle all this different stuff that she's doing, but that, you know, uh, this is the first time she really, like, points out that, like, yeah, she cares about Shinji because she does relate to him in a way, and it's, and it's, mm-hmm. it's she sees herself in, in a way she's that very critical of herself. other people have, don't necessarily see her. You know? Yeah, I think that's interesting that she notices you know shinji's tendency to run away and she admits that she ran away from her relationship with kaji when she realized that he was similar to her father mm-hmm. the fact that she was with somebody like her father that made her want to run and she very freudian uh, well. comes to the idea that um that she might have been even using him at the time like this this self-doubt of like well i cling to men only when it's useful for me and that maybe even at the time i was using you and that's sort of an interesting thing for a lot of I think a lot of good people sometimes they're you know good and intelligent people will use their intelligence to doubt their own goodness you know sure that she was with him and is just like now trying to rationalize god what if it's possible that I didn't even love you at the time and I you know did these horrible things to you and I don't know when you I, Mm -hmm. I think that that's the danger sometimes of being too intellectual is you can sort of turn that lens on yourself and you start denying yourself qualities that are actually virtuous qualities, you yeah. know, that, that Miss Sada would look at what she's done and be like, maybe I didn't though. Maybe I did this for the wrong reason. Maybe I'm just a terrible person. And no, I hate myself. And she actually says, I hate myself, mm-hmm. which, and she's not going to be the last <laughs> Evangelion character to say that. No. And it's, you know, I mean, and again, we talk about this being a mature episode and, and, you know, I'm not going to like make any sort of absolute statements. I know that there's, I mean, there's a wealth of inf- entertainment in the world these days but i just having conversations like that in what is an ostensibly like four quadrant japanese animated (laughs) cartoon that you know plays for children as well as adults like a kind of primetime show and to have you know to have that level of nuance with with the emotions that these characters not only are feeling but also like discussing and that it's like yeah you know i it's you know alongside all the philosophy and everything and the you know all the the religious you know uh imagery and everything it's just it's you know it's it's the reasons we like this show because it's tackling uh things that you may not have necessarily articulated for yourself or or you know or, or more of like something you'd find in literature or something like that you know that the idea that she may have been using him back then and that she's doubting so that's very much more like something from like a you know i don't know like a philip roth novel or something like that. that's, that's, that's pretty that's pretty heavy for for this type of thing and i think you know again i for the right type of viewer this is just like well, that's why i love the slow intravenous just you just <laughs> give it to me and for people that if you want just robots fighting monsters like it, it you're gonna be like what the fuck is all this shit and i, and I get right. it you know it's fine but i i love it makes me so well I, lo- I love that the kind of the slow dip into that where you sort of get the fun thing of like okay pick, pick your avatar character decide who you're going to uh, identify with and who you care about and then then we'll really complicate it and get you thinking about what that means uh, and who these people really are so you're already attached but then you're forced to look you know mm-hmm. you're, you're sort of like forced to uh well, i just totally missed- to see them with their with their oh sorry wounds on show yeah no absolutely uh, there's I- a there, there's a really good well, I won't, I won't cut you off, but they, I, I, I want to talk about this thing from Mr. Miracle, which is this comic book series that I really love, which is Tom King's Mr. Miracle. And there's this this conceit of a mirror that shows you like what you really look like, and like it shows your wounds, your physical wounds, and deals with superheroes, um, Mr. Miracle mm-hmm. and, and Big Barda, who, you know, DC, DC Comics superheroes. But there's there's just a, a moment where they look into this mirror together and they both have had traumatic past and like horrible upbringings and they see themselves sort of as they really are. And it's two people like standing nude and scarred to hell and back in front of like, they look like a couple mm-hmm. of Freddy Kruegers like clutching each other. And uh, the idea of a mirror that could sort of show you your inner hurts. And I feel like that's what Evangelion does to our characters is it makes you fall in love with them. 
And then it kind of exposes the rawness of what they yeah. really are. And it is like a really powerful uh, I, experience. I, 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 um, this isn't what I was going to say earlier and I'm not going to say anything, but I feel like it's worth just like a, I think I told you this, that like the other day, Kevin and I, uh, were hanging out and we ended up kind of just half watching parts of Indigenous and <laughs> without saying anything at all, uh-huh. I, I felt guilty because I like you weren't there and uh, we weren't you know. Well, doing... I don't want to ever see interview Evangelion out of context. Like no, I always wanna... well, I it, it I was it's been a while and I was jaw dropped and and I <laughs> I, I, I there's gonna be a that's gonna be like maybe like I don't know a three or four part episode like of talking about interview Evangelion and hopefully we're gonna have Kevin for that. I think is the plan uh-huh. because it is astonishing. Um, yeah, everything you said it coming to completeness in this. I yeah, I just just to say I'm really excited about actually oh, yeah. watching that thing for real and talking about it in depth. In this 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 type of conversation we're having is going to be, uh, yeah. So, anyways, look forward to that, guys. <laughs> look forward <laughs> yeah. to be excited. Get ready. So is there more to the Misato Kaji stuff? We can sort of follow their arc. I mean, I like all the details. I like all the shoe business. Maybe that's just saying oh, something so, about me, but like when she's carrying the heels. No, it's just that great, it's the great Ano like insert shot stuff that like, it's just, you know, we talk about it as far as like a sort of money saving animation technique uh-huh. that becomes a stylistic thing. And it's like, you know, it's, 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 yeah, the, the reference, the inference, like the Kaji noticing that she wears heels and being like, oh, you know, back when I, back when we dated in college or whatever, she didn't, she didn't wear heels. She wasn't fancy like that. And then, you know, they get drunk and it's like they're talking about how it's the first time they've drank together in a while. And then he's like carrying her and her, do you see like, you know, she's taking them off and sort of like transformed back into somebody who's not wearing mm-hmm. heels. She's but yeah, clutching the, him the, then, the one you know. shot of the stocking and you can see that they're dirty. Cause yeah. like you can't really get that level of detail in the traditional cell animation, but it's almost like Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. But like cut to like the, like there's mites or something Hair in Ren's and ear. Yeah. And you yeah. do like the gross close up of mm-hmm. something we could have on the horrible detail. Um, and this isn't like that, but it's like, oh, you can get the level of detail that kind of conveys, oh, yeah. And it feels, uh, it suddenly feels so much more real the moment where you can see, like, yeah, her stockings would be all, you know, dirty from Yeah, because she walks, yeah, some and then on the ground and yeah, her, her white stockings. Well, and it's also just like that whole, I mean, I don't think I've had, well, I probably may have actually had that exact same progression of an evening before, but like, it, it's just, it's again, for something that is supposed to be a sort of animated show that kind of, you know, kids can watch and stuff like that. It's just like, these are just good life details. It's just good textural details of what, what uh-huh. it's like to, to be a person. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think it, it, I've said before on the show that sometimes watching Evangelion makes me feel more in touch with, with life than, than, than it should possibly considering that it's an animated science fiction show that has nothing no like, right. relevance but like down to like whether it's the emotional stuff that we already talked about the psychological stuff or just this his insistence on finding these great little details that remind you of experiences or make you feel like you had that experience well, even, even if you haven't you know, it's, it's great. telling kaji like oh you should just stay here tonight and he's like well i can't go to work at this tomorrow mm-hmm. like that you know that's just the the level of detail of yeah, the, the the show is thinking about Kaji's got to go to work the next yeah. day, so he can't stay over. There's a really good exchange when uh, he <laughs> Misato throws up in the alley, and, and Kaji's like some, something like you're you're past the age when you should be throwing up, and she says, "I'm sorry, I'm that age." Yeah, about <laughs> like, like, when you're that age too. No, it's 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 really great, and it's really um, you know, there's a nostalgia obviously for the characters in these scenes because they're talking about this past relationship, but it's. You know, it's hard not to to pull yourself into, you know, it it, it gives you nostalgic feelings for things like that. And it's, you know, I've said it many, many times publicly. I'm not the biggest fan of nostalgia as a concept, but some of the things that this show does, some of that more effectively and does get me to feel things. um, And I do really like it. I really, this, this is an episode that's, yeah, it's all about, a lot of it's about that relationship and then in a different kind of nostalgia there is there is the young the young yeah you know i don't know if i want to call it romantic i mean i guess it is by default but like this sort of notion that uh we we see oscar at the very beginning uh trying to call kaji while he's off on his miami vice mission and she's frustrated <laughs> because you know she obviously like in her own Freudian way has sort of, you know, projected onto him as this sort of surrogate father figure in a way, ideal. but also this the male, only real you know, man yeah. around. 
And she talks about it a lot, and she uses that because she sees herself as more mature in this way because she's intelligent and ambitious and stuff. And she, you know, uses, you know, Shinji as a sort of uh, uh, whipping boy for the opposite of what she thinks she is and all this different stuff. And so they get, there's this kind of like continuing. She, Shinji's very much an experiment for her and a, and a tool by which she can try to attempt to understand herself. Yes. Which is, I guess, what a lot of young people use other young people for mm-hmm. is. You are you are a mirror. It's bringing up more mirror mm-hmm. stuff, but like you you are a mirror for me to kind of see and understand what makes me tick and what makes you know. And you define yourself as a young person like that a lot by I am this, but I'm not that. And you find out what this is by by first is being like I know I'm not that. I know oh, I'm totally. not a jock. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I know. And so I think that's really interesting. Well, yeah, because for her, like again, she's smart, she's ambitious, she's driven, she's mature, and she sees Shinji as kind of like. You know, just this sort of placid, dumb, you know... Yeah, how will Shinji respond if I do this? Does he respond to me in this way? Does he respond to me in this way? Um, And so what we get in this is that she she ends up, like, um, class rep, like, uh, sets her up on a date with an older guy, and... Oh, do we know? I mean, what, what... Who is he? There's some relationship. Some friend like of it's like a friend's older brother or something like that. They don't, yeah. I don't think it ever really even comes up again. But Oscar's clearly not into it because she wears this hideous dress on this yeah. date. So yeah, I think subconsciously she already knows. She's, she's trying she's to not... tank the thing. She's dressed. She's dressed like an evangelical missionary in that dress. Yeah, anyways. yeah. It's yeah called just like a, like just a sister wife kind of deal. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So it's like you get this whole thing where like, you know, the sort of surrogate mother and father to these to these kids. You know, Masato and Kaji are are off at this. Uh, wedding together and uh you know Masato, uh, asuka ditches out on her date and comes back early with shinji was just at home with pen pen and you know misato calls shinji and says you know i'm gonna be out late i'm at my third after party with kaji you know <laughs> just like you know do whatever and of course he's like okay great you know this is they're just getting thing. to the kiss right it's, yes we're yeah. getting into the point where now we've we ended up in a situation where asuka and shinji are alone in the apartment just bored waiting for misato to come home and Asuka gets bored enough to say, hey, Shinji, you've never kissed anybody before. We should just kiss. Do you want to kiss? She doesn't say whether or not she's kissed anybody before. Oh, she doesn't? Okay. She, so I, I, think she, I think she just says, you've never been kissed before. Uh-huh. Uh, and he says, uh-huh, yeah, that's, that's says, true. Yeah, she says it's just because she's bored and to kill time. Yeah, and, and they have this long, very like, they just, like, basically, like, you know, she holds his nose because she doesn't want him to breathe on her because it'll make her, it'll tickle her face. And so she holds his nose, and they basically just like press lips together for like an extended period of yeah. time. They don't. There's no like movement. It's not an erotic kiss. It's very clearly like an experiment. Well, like you it said. is a kiss that, and I don't want to say too much, but I, these these outfits that they're wearing, Shinji's sort of salmon colored polo shirt mm-hmm. and Asuka's yellow shirt with the blue shorts. The, there's a callback to this scene in End of Evangelion, so I want to flag this scene here, and I want to flag the interaction that they're having and that Shinji is unable to breathe while they are kissing and that he mm-hmm. you know, turns colors. And I just want to flag this scene. Yeah. No. And it's, and it's also probably worth flagging that like, as far as his reaction to the thing outside of like, you know, the not being able to breathe and the sort of, you know, the, the, the light anime comedy of him changing colors and stuff like that. Apart <laughs> from that, he doesn't have a big reaction to it. And she, overcompensates her reaction by being like, oh, gross, gargling, you need gargling or what? Dog germs. There's, you know. there's her Lucy uh, from Peanuts coming yeah. back in. Yeah, it comes, and, then, and then it's like, <sighs> and then they they come home, like Haji brings Masato home and sort of puts her to bed, like she's sort of passed out drunk, and, you know, now Asuka has the ideal man to, like, you know, get attention from, and she starts to try and, you know, get him to pay attention to her, and he just sort of laughs it off and goes away. God, he smells like Misato's perfume. Yeah, so that she's, Misato specifically says is for grown-ups. Yeah, she's, so she's, you know, feeling sort of, like, you know, rejected or betrayed, and Shinji, of course, sweet Shinji, just has no concept of, of human interaction <laughs> and, and subtleties. Sh- Sh- Shinji's wrist just, like, dropping. Yeah, It's yeah. like a shot when he's, like, saying goodbye to Kaji, and Asuka gives some sort of insult, and you see his, his wrist is held up, and then just before the camera gets it, whoop. Yeah, well, he, well It's like he... Sigmund Freud's corn dog in uh, <laughs> Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> wow, that's, the... a, that's a deep pull. <laughs> Sigmund Freud is trying, well, because it's a Freudian joke, yeah, and, like, no, Sigmund yeah. Freud's got this corn dog and he and Socrates are hitting on these chicks at the mall. God, I and they turn him this. down, and then just really suddenly, Simeon Freud like drops his corn dog. <laughs> I forgot about it's that. It's one of the best jokes in Bill. <laughs> but he, yeah, no, I mean clearly. But they, they, it, it, what he says is because he's not even reading the situation. He's like, "What are you upset or something?" And she's like, "She's like, yeah, because you kissed me." And then she storms off and like slams <laughs> the door. And then his like his, his wrist drops because it's like he, you know, again he, we don't we don't get a sense that he is 
particularly emotionally engaged with this notion of the kiss, and he certainly doesn't seem to pick up on the subtlety that, you know, there's a sort of sexual jealousy uh-huh. uh, between, you know, that Asuka has for Masato because Masato is an adult and can access uh, Kaji as an adult, as right. a sexual person, and that, you know, uh, Asuka's frustrated that she doesn't get to be that and her attempt Just to how... sort of to, to transpose the, the sexual anxiety of, of her interest in Kaji onto right. Shinji uh, because <laughs> he's the there. available one that can be, but that, of course... He's not, I mean, he isn't, uh, I mean, he's equally as, like, sort of aloof as Kaji is, I guess. So they, they have that in common. Right. But, you know, he isn't going to be able to access how, how unattainable adulthood seems mm-hmm. when you are 14. Like, and it's just this other world of, the world of lavender perfume that's for grown-ups. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's very evocative. I do wonder, you know, how much... You know, uh, is Asuka genuinely interested in Shinji? You know, she does want Hard his approval. Say. You know, is it just because she wants approval or is it specifically Shinji's approval that she's after? I don't know. I didn't. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I, I mean, I this... could, I could see a read and there are other a- ancillary versions, you know, adaptations and video games and manga and stuff that sort of do push it to where it is a little bit more like Asuka does genuinely have romantic feelings for Shinji. Yeah. But from the show, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, as far as like, We'll you know, this is keep part paying of attention me, to that. I yeah, guess. The, the the adult read versus the the young person read. Like, I, I mean, I, how much can a fourteen year old really have like feelings no, of love? For no, anybody? but I think I think that like it's just even it, it's 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 the question because she obviously like she values his his role in her life in a way that she more than she would admit, right? Like, yeah, because, well, everybody, yeah, yeah, and so and so like they are friends, and she. You know, she yes. looks like his roommate, and she's just like his coworker, and it's like she would be sad if Shinji wasn't there. I think in any situation, yeah, as much I, as she complains about it, if she came home from that date and Shinji was not there for some reason, she would be bummed. And it's it's so like as far as like me as a you know thir- almost thirty five year old man watching this, and like you know as though these were my friends. If I was just a fly on the wall watching my friends interact, if I was if you were to ask me like, do you think there's anything going on there at this point in the story? I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I uh-huh. couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't truly say because oh, Shinji certainly doesn't demonstrate himself as uh, yeah, something that she would be interested in beyond exactly what we're seeing. But I will get as we get further. I think we'll we'll be able to pick up on some more of that. Huh. Well, it's a rough episode for Shinji because he also has to talk to his dad <laughs> like mm-hmm. one on one. Uh, doesn't know what to say, and it's because it's the anniversary of his mother's mysterious death. Yeah, which they they haven't really talked about. I don't think so. At all, I think, and and it's we get this scene. We know there's no body. Geno doesn't. Yeah, there is no body. The grave is just for show. There's also no photographs because he's destroyed them all. Mm -hmm. Keeps everything in his heart. Yeah, Uh, and it's the most they've talked really in the thing. And he's he's not warm, and he's certainly not kind. But he he is he is off. (laughs) He's offering something of himself to his son for the first time, though. I think like he is. You know, he says the stuff about you know like. You know, man survives by forgetting, you know, his memories, like in most cases, right. but there are some things that a man shouldn't forget. And like, you know, he says that Yui taught him, you know, about the things that are not replaceable in the world. And, you know, and it's like it is the most, you know, that's all important stuff. G- Gendo is trying to I mean, I don't really know what he's trying to do. I mean, I think for both of them, it's a perfunctory <clears throat> thing that they do this. And neither of them are super stoked about being there. I mean, the whole interaction. I mean, I don't know if we're meant to believe that, like, they've been having a conversation for, like, several minutes prior to the scene that we actually see. I don't well, think so. What we see is effectively, like, three minutes of, of interaction. But it is, like I said, Gendo is actually talking about the way he feels about something, which is not normal. <laughs> Shinji it, says he's glad they had this time together, to which Gendo replies, I see. Yeah, and then and then and, and then, then straight up abandons him. Well, and then like one of those jet helicopter things comes and picks him up. And I just noticed the thing I was going to say earlier when I got distracted and I was like cutting you off is that there is a shot, a really quick shot of Ray inside yeah, the thing. Ray's in there. I yeah. missed it when we watched it because uh, we have it replaying on silent. But like, yeah, so it's like you know I think it's implied that that's from Shinji's perspective. So that again for the millionth time. Uh, his father is leaving him to go spend time with this other uh, this other fourteen year old kid right. that Shinji sees every day, but seems to you know doesn't understand the relationship. And again, it just to, to be clear, it, at this point, it is not, and maybe ever I don't remember, but it is not suggested that there is anything untoward about the relationship. Just that. Well, it's going to get weird in, in this yes. episode in, in a second, but yeah, I just 
I think in I think you see a similar scene in the rebuild movies of this, and it's like Misato or something drove Shinji there. But but <laughs> apparently in the show, this this graveyard seems to be just like miles and miles as yeah, far as looks, I can see. It looks see like Arlington National graves. Cemetery, but in like Death Valley or something. Just like just... <laughs> he just hops on his helicopter thing and flies away with with Ray, and I guess Shinji just has to walk home through this yeah. massive graveyard. I've always wondered like what's what the fuck's he supposed to do now. And so, so that's kind of like the end of the that's the Shinji arc of the stuff. And then we get right here in the last couple of minutes, we get back to some of that weird shit from the previous episode. And we were in some, you know, does it? What does it say? I'm gonna like, I'm gonna watch it so that we can actually call it terminal out. dogma, yeah, which so is the, the lowest point yeah. inside the nerve headquarters. So like beneath the geo front, you have this yeah these deep seats. underground facility, central dogma. Yeah, so because no, because it cuts again. This is this. This oh, this is Central Dogma? Yeah, Central Dogma. Okay. So, we see so this there's weird Central Dogma, and then Terminal Dogma is below that. It's like this weird spinal cord-looking, like, biomechanical Brain. thing that goes all the way down to sort of, I guess, what would be, like, uh, like, yeah, like, the bottom of the spinal cord. There's, like, a tube, and a nude ray is is sort of suspended in a tube of, of the LCL. LCL. And Gendo, and she opens on the floor. smiles at Gendo, who is standing watching her and smiling back at her. With with weird uh, symbols, like arcane sort of symbols all around, too, giving it that sort of spiritual quality. Yeah, the Kabbalistic. And, and the, the sound, like this breathing sound that is terrifying to me and mm-hmm. just so strange. And it's an interesting thing that, you know, we have sort of made our career such as it is being sort of horror film writers and, mm-hmm. and horror is definitely something that I love but I, I think about Evangelion being something that is not horror at all but is terrifying to me in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and you know like I'm, I'm definitely a fan of horror things but I'm also just a fan of you know dark things and, and things that are somehow scary that doesn't necessarily need to follow the tropes or the structure of something that is traditionally you would consider a horror movie. And I love how this traffics in stuff. And it's, it's sort of hard to describe my relationship with I mean, it's, that genre. But but it's the horror aspects of this show that appeal to me. But they don't... You know, you see what I'm saying? They're not, not quite... It's not scary in the way... It's not scary in the way I think in a really early episode... It's not spooky. I, I think I, I went on like a ill-advised and somewhat ill-informed attempt to find a... Um, family tree of this stuff in that i do think that at some point somewhere in that you know uh, lineage the the lovecraftian cosmic horror uh-huh. is a component that that whether or not i don't know i mean hp lovecraft is so part of the cultural landscape of just genre anything at this point that you don't you kind of you can get it through osmosis without necessarily having to have read him right. or understand or be interested so i'm not even willing to say what anno's relationship uh is or isn't with with hp lovecraft's work but i would say that like Obviously, the horror genre in cinema and literature is very, very closely connected to that. And I would say that what you're, some of what you're talking about is the kind of existential dread, cosmic horror stuff that is common to. Yeah, because everything about this scene that. is designed to be unnerving. You yes. know, from the creepy smiles that they give each other to this like noise to the like the darkness and this like Gendo's glasses reflecting this orange glow mm-hmm. from the LCLs. It doesn't look like it looks like he doesn't have pupils. Is this something all very demonic and creepy about this but it isn't you know you mentioned david lynch earlier in this episode and this Mm -hmm. is like you know this feels like some weird thing you'd see at the end of an episode of twin peaks it's just like yeah i mean that was and that's i don't think i've done we've talked about this in the show but it was a tweet that i had that because you haven't watched the new twin peaks yet but the twin peaks return like it's more like evangelion than it has any right to be considering that I'm not even fully clear that if David Lynch as a, as a man at this point in his life, I don't know how much entertainment he actually consumes. <laughs> I certainly, I mean, I know that like stuff gets sort of thrown his way and he's got kids and stuff and like he has young people that work for him. And so I do think he gets sort of subjected to things at times, but I think I had a tweet at the time where I was like, I don't know if I'd rather watch all of Evangelion with David Lynch or watch all of <laughs> Twin Peaks with Anno, but I would do anything to do one of those two things, and I would love, and I would love to, or I would love to do all of those things and with them together and have them talk about it because it's it seems crazy to me that 
I mean, there's a better chance that Anno's aware of Twin Peaks because Twin Peaks was really Twin Peaks was big in Japan. Japan yeah. It's a very good chance that that he was, but that doesn't even really answer anything. It's like, but I. It's amazing that these two guys that are probably closer in age than not. I think Lynch is in his seventies at this point. Yeah, I was younger. It's, but it's like they they you know again. I don't know how how the world shaped them in such a way that they have some things in common and, and arrive at some interesting uh, overlapping points and stuff in that it's like, again, I don't know, you know, Lynch talks a lot about Kafka. He talks a lot about Fellini in terms of like his influences are much more strange and, and random with where he gets his inspiration from. And of course it all comes from like meditation and shit like that. And it's like, I feel like Anno's probably more of a consumer of things or has been in this. I mean, he's definitely a straight up nerd and that's what that. that and Lynch is not at all. I mean, right. Lynch, Lynch, I don't even, like I said, like I don't even think Lynch is like terribly interested in like entertainment. Yeah. You know, like he really uh. like, watches things in the same way so it's like yeah it's it's interesting and there's this the, there's overlaps and they go back as far as as this this and it's you know it's interesting to me i don't know yeah um speaking of influences before i forget i have you know have to no one will care but i need to correct myself on that i we talked about the episode where they're trying to uh fight i think romiel and mm-hmm. i brought up an ultraman episode that i oh, said was shit. called the endless counterattack it was actually an episode called a gift from the sky well you're Which fired is... from the show. <laughs> bag, bag my bags. You just you you you've lost credibility. I, I in, just need in to the correct it for the, myself. In the eyes of the listeners, you you lost nothing you say has validity at all anymore. <laughs> How could we possibly trust? You know, I mean. But a gift from a gift from the sky is a great episode, and uh, if you're gonna watch one episode of Ultraman. Uh, that might be one to look at. Are like, you talking directly to me since I've never seen an episode of Ultraman? <laughs> um, well, there are episodes. There's two episodes of Ultraman uh, Max that are directed by... Um, uh, what's the name we did? Audition. Mike. Oh, cool. Takeshi Mike does two episodes. Is this a newer show? or is this uh, a... it's, it's from, yeah, the, the mid-thousands. All right. 2006 or It's like prime, or prime era Mike. Yeah, and uh, they are both excellent episodes, and you can tell. Like, like watching them, you're sort of like, this one's, like, a little bit weird. Like, a little bit, you know, like, you would, even if you didn't know who Mike was, you could you would be able to tell there's something different about this episode. I mean, he's such, that guy is, like, capable of doing anything, and he's, he's sort of, like, in a weird way, he's, like, the, like, like, like this is going to be the weirdest reference, like, the Ron Howard of Japanese exploitation <laughs> entertainment or something like that. In that, like, you know, Ron Howard sort of famously is, like, a guy that has directed so many different ty- types of movies, and you cannot pinpoint right, yeah, what a stylistic a overlap. Movie, yeah. yeah, there's not a there's not a specific thing. And, like, I, I would say that to some degree, Mike, I don't, I mean, I've seen so many of his movies at this point, and, like... He has, like, niches. There's, like, different hats he'll put on. Yeah. It's like his like wacky video game adaptation stuff versus his like serious stoic samurai stuff versus his like Super blood guts up. and cum yeah, kind of like you know exploitation violence stuff yeah. and then but like you know kids movies sometimes like it's like <laughs> great yokai war yeah which is the one the one that I uh, I really liked that one quite a bit I haven't seen it in a long time <laughs> yeah so there's a little bit more to cover yeah here. we'll just get to the, the very end because I think because yeah Central Dogma has has this weird ray brain. So we finally we've sort of known there's something up with Ray all along. Now we get like yeah, Ray's not there's something really going on. Yeah, and so we go deeper into terminal dogma, the lowest point. The LCL plant. Yeah. So so we're seeing This these... is sort of I something about the dummy plug too. They kind of talk about the dummy plug. They mentioned something here. about it, but they yeah. So I'm, tra- was... I'm sorry I'm sick and I'm trying really hard not to sniffle at You're the microphone great. and I'm, I really apologize everybody. Well, so, so just so we, so we see this this whole thing is the last thing in the the, the episode is is the, the work. Hey, we're terminal dogma lowest point under the thing, and we find our we find Kaji with a with Sneaking an injury around. card trying to open up some sort of restricted area. And it is Nehru jacket. Open, yeah, he's looking <laughs> real cool again, you know. And uh, Masato shows up with a gun to him, and is basically calls him out for being a double agent. All the stuff we already talked about warns him. Yeah, be you know, be yeah, careful. Blah 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 blah. He's like he, Ritsuko and Gendo are keeping secrets from you. And to prove his point, uh, he Let just swipes, this. swipes his card and opens Boop. the door. And now, okay, what do we know about this so far? Do you can you track that? Because we've, we've well, been this is to... that he did. He identifies. <laughs> we see this figure on a cross. This is the first time we've seen it, right? Yes. Okay, so if you've never seen this before and this is the first time you're watching it, you are going, "What the hell is going on?" I right. would assume. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was very shocking to me, and I, you know, I wonder how it plays 
these days when you've you know seen a little bit more anime and you know things have been ma- mainstream culture depending on how this is advertised there's might be flashes things. of this and different things i mean there's this very but the first you know, time i saw this thing which is this big pillsbury doughboy looking just like white flabby body crucified crucified onto a giant red cross with the lance of longinus that we saw piercing its chest piercing like, its chest it's like sternum basically it's leaking what appears to be lcl it's yeah the lower half of its body is sort of, of like a tumorous like weird thing it doesn't have legs it's just but it's, it's no it does i mean it's growing like human-sized legs well but it's not but right, right. The, way we, right. the way we see it right now it terminates not in its own yeah uh, and you only get like it's only like two shots of it, and it's just right here at the end, and it's just and it's like yeah, so the it is terrifying. I mean, and and this bizarre. is bizarre. I mean, this is like something gross. you know, it's like something from like the Tarsim movie, The Cell, or something. Like it's a very shocking like, Ma- Matthew Barney, like yeah, yeah. It's thing. a it's very like art installationy thing of this weird fucking thing crucified on a red cross. It seems to be and- growing human legs like like almost like people are growing out of it oh like yeah oh yeah no that's that's like like its, it's trunk like, terminates in that's like shin godzilla looking cancerous stuff. yeah it looks like shin godzilla's tail mm-hmm. yeah like these things uh growing out of it and it's identified as adam the first angel and yeah uh, yeah misato is shocked and says this and he says this is like the the reason for second impact or this is the in result or like uh-huh. find it, exactly what the line is um but yeah, so this is this throughout is, this episode because you know. at the beginning, oh, and it also has a mask on its face, and the mask has the Sele logo, which looks like a, a inverted pyramid with a bunch of eyes. Mm-hmm. So it's very biblical, the idea of you know beast with however many eyes and Illuminati stuff mm-hmm. with the, the pyramid with the eye on it. Um, yeah, this is the, the origin and linchpin of everything since the second impact. Yeah, and that's what I was saying. At the beginning of the episode, Fudski sort of is talking to Gendo. He says all the projects are related. They talk about the Huey Instrumentality project being behind, but that the dummy plug project is happening, and something else, and that they're all all the projects are connected. So that all comes back to this. It all comes back to this giant that we see the flash of the giant of light from the mm-hmm. earlier episode with the Katsuragi expedition. So is it? Did they somehow bring the first angel that they found in Antarctica that caused second well, yeah, impact? Did we, they we, did they bring it here? Well, because we and we'd seen the fl- we'd seen the stuff from earlier episodes of Kaji with the briefcase with the embryo thing in it, right? And that was identified was to us as Adam yes. at the time. So so you know, again, if if you're binge watching this, you maybe are tracking this better. But also, so did yeah? Did Kaji? Get, I guess we are to assume that Kaji got Adam the in its in an embryonic form. From Antarctica, mm-hmm. or, or you know that, that that's where they found it, but he somehow retrieved it and has brought it here, and it has grown into this. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the implication. Although I, 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 I wonder if anybody on first watch can actually piece those things together at right. this point, because because even just the one shot, you see, like it's like growing, sort of the body. Because I mean, this it's looks like, like it is continuing to grow. Like the mm-hmm. fact that there are those legs on the bottom of it does look like this thing is growing so you know you can sort of imagine okay they took the embryo thing out of its bakelite uh casing which i think they talk about how it's in suspended animation mm-hmm. and like okay what if they let it they let and it then grow. and then when we last saw ray with the lance and she was down in terminal dogma the like, oh, this uh, right. the lance is stabbed into its sternum or presumably it has a skeleton i have no idea um but like so they get, it's like oh that was where the she way was. it sags yeah <laughs> it implies that maybe it doesn't like yeah it's kind of there's a pillsbury pillsbury doughboy is is a good reference it looks like it's squishy it looks so gross like it like you could really slap that thing <laughs> it's like the sound it would make which is again something so special about a lot of evangelion monster design and specifically in Japanese monster design in general of like, you know, we, we sort of, there's a real, we, we got some really good monster design with the ritual, which we've already checked in, in this episode once David Bruckner's Netflix movie mm-hmm. and uh, you know, annihilation was one of my favorite movies last year in terms of monster design stuff. But we definitely got into a rut of like chittering bugs and like just things with sort of big teeth and and uh, a very limited pool of what could be frightening characteristics or features for for a monster mm-hmm. or an alien type creature and the the fact that this design is not threatening in any way like there's nothing about that big fat white thing that 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 feels like dangerous like it doesn't have giant teeth or claws it yeah, looks, it's not it trying looks to soft. hurt you it almost looks sad kind it, of it looks like you know when you like you, 
I remember digging up like a grub as a kid and like finding just a fat white thing like digging it up mm-hmm. out of the ground and it was just like this is so alien to me this thing was just slumbering under the earth and i unearthed it and here it is jiggling around mm-hmm. like frightened and uncomprehending of anything and it like this so disgusting to me and repulsive <laughs> oh yeah because you hate worms it's like a whole I thing with hate you worms yeah. yeah and this this is a, there's a very wormy quality to adam here this this big white thing that feels like it has been unearthed and, and you know, just it seems mindless. Like the way it's just kind of its mm-hmm. head flopped to the side, which is like the Jesus pitiful. pose. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it it's, is, a, it's a, a bit of a it con- seems con- contrapposto, yeah, I guess. It seems the, mindless yeah. in a way that's alarming, but for being so large and apparently so powerful. It's yeah. the first angel. And even to take something, you know, angel, angelic, and it's in the pose of like Christ, which is supposed to be this thing, and to sort of have this perverse monstrosity kind of stupidly aping that pose feels so dangerous which is why it feels like an art installation yes. why it, it feels like it's like you know like the piss christ or the things like that like these sort of like works of kind of like modern art that that are deemed offensive in their use of religious imagery in a way that is like you know it's a yes, it, it seems heretical yeah it yeah. seems like a blasphemous thing to find out here yeah and it's and especially for like again a show that like has pitched itself Although at this point, like I said, if you're if you're if you were watching the show just to expect robot battles, like you're pretty well past that. But it's still this is a shocking image. But there's going to be reached. some robot battles. Yeah. Oh hell yeah! Oh, I mean, they, wow. you know, it, it, it's going to deliver on all those things. But to to get to this fucking thing, and an episode yeah. that again has none. The, the, the Davis aren't even in this episode. And then this is what the you know like. If you're trying to imagine, like, well, with the Illuminati or like, like secret clandestine <laughs> organizations, like, what are they really up to? Like, this is the thing. Like, oh, this straight up blasphemy. That's the thing. Like that this, they, yeah. yeah. Like this is kind of what you'd want it to be. Yeah, like everything you would like, hope. Like in terms of how horrible. Oh uh, yeah. If you if you could go underground in like Bohemian Grove and this fucking thing is like in a chamber, <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Get it. Now it's now it all now it now it's all you know scary enough to be real and yeah. Uh. Well, yeah, this is a great, yeah, this is a good episode. Um, we went pretty long on this one, but there was a lot to talk about, and we were, I think, happy to be back. So, uh, yeah. thank you guys for going with us on this. Uh, we're we're gonna get in. Shit's only getting here more we real. Go. From episode here on six. In. Episode sixteen is the one that is largely acknowledged as, I think, even by the creators, as the one where it starts to diverge and like is the is the second half of the show. Okay, so well, one through fifteen is is one show, and then sixteen through. 26 is yeah so so we're getting into the to the to the home stretch here and uh we're excited we hope you are and uh you know however you're listening to this whatever your plan uh is we hope you keep doing it and uh we'll see you next time yeah all right Bye. bye